good. Awesome. Me too. Man, it's it's always so good just to get in the Lord's presence and just worship for a little bit, isn't it? Man, like, Sundays are my favorite day of the week, and I'm not just saying that. Like, it's so true. Like, just getting here and, and just getting to worship the Lord with you guys is just it's so good. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Jesus. All right, well, I just want to begin tonight by uh, recapping Heather's message from last week. Um, if you weren't here, it's on the audio archive on the website, vineyardcamelsville.org. Can you check that out? Um, just uh, by, for my own curiosity, uh, show of hands, people that were here last week, they got to hear it. And then anybody that actually went on the website this week and heard it, if you weren't here. Awesome. Great. Cool. Yeah, you got to do that. Because she had such a good message last week um, that I really just wanted to reemphasize some of the points that she made. And um, just kind of make that our our taking off point for tonight's message. All right. So last week, Heather, she spoke out of Exodus 17. Right, as part of this series that we've been doing on Exodus, and we've kind of been all over the place. Um, we ha- definitely haven't done anything chronologically. Uh, but last week was Exodus 17. And uh, this is just this passage where the Israelites, you know, they've been traveling through the desert, and they get to this place, and they are, you know, just dying of thirst is kind of the way they would put it. You know, like, Lord, why'd you bring us out here just to die in the desert? So Moses, or So God told Moses, just take that staff, hit the rock, and out of that, the water came forth, and, and he took care of their need. Um, and so Heather just used that passage to demonstrate God's heart for the people of Israel. You know, that he loved the people, he was going to meet their needs, and um, he was changing their identity. You know, they were slaves, they were beaten down, they were broken, but the Lord was beginning to work in them this, this identity that they, they were no longer those people, but they are the, the people of God, that God was going to take care of them. All right. Another thing she did is she taught us that there's a few different ways that we can read Scripture. Right? Uh, the first one was historically. Like, we can read Scripture historically, and, and when we do that, we're seeing what the Lord is saying to, to those people at that time. So um, that's historically. Or we can read it prophetically, and that just means that, you know, the Scripture is living, it's breathing, it speaks to us today. Um, and, and it's always foreshadowing the Lord's heart. Um, when we read the Old Testament, it's always foreshadowing Jesus. It's saying, you know, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So we can read the Scripture prophetically. And then the last way, we can read it practically. Um, same idea, you know, Scripture's leaving and breathing. It speaks to us today. It has practical um, ways that we can change our lives and, and, and live for God and live in, in a better way. So we can read the scripture practically. And I just kind of wanted to touch on those things because I want to kind of have that in our minds as, as we're going through the scripture tonight too because um, I want to keep that stuff in mind. All right. And then um, Heather also talked about the Israel, Israelite struggle in the, des- the desert. So her central passage is focusing on this time where God is meeting a need for Israel. Right. And, and the thing was is all they could perceive out in the desert was... Um, that they were in, in desolation, that um, as they looked around, all they could see was that they were lacking for everything, right? They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough water. And in their hearts, they didn't have any hope, right? So those were their perceived circumstances. But God was trying to change their perception to see that the desert was really a place where he was going to take care of them and meet every single need. 
right? Um, so for us, you know, we look at a desert and we have this imagery that, you know, it's just a place of desolation, of wasteland. But in the scripture, we see that the Lord, that the, the Lord has the place of the desert as being this place where the people can draw near to the Lord to see who he really is and for him to be the single source of their needs. So that's just the place I want to springboard off of tonight. Um, so we're going to be looking in Exodus 12. You can uh, open up your Bibles or the scripture is going to come up on the screen. Exodus 12, 31 through 42. So start in 31. It just says this. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go, and bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders, in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. They were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people had lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. And on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. Awesome. That's, that's our scripture for tonight. And just to kind of provide some more context. Right, this is the moment of the Israelites' exodus, right? They're leaving Egypt. So before this, you know, they had been living in slavery for years and years and years, you know. And throughout that, they had built up this desperation. Um, They had seen their people enslaved. They had seen their children killed. Um, They had seen them worked beyond the the breaking point, you know. And, And the people were crying out to the Lord, and the Lord himself heard them and worked miracles in the land to set them free. And this is what we see now in Exodus 12, is, is them leaving Egypt finally after all this. All right, so that's, you know, the broader context of what's going on. Um, and I just want to kind of touch on a few of the verses as we go and, and bring out some points. So the first um, verse I want to touch on is verse 31, right in the beginning. And um, it's just this little phrase that, that Pharaoh says to Moses and, and the people of Israel as they're leaving. He says, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Like, to me, I was thinking about this, you know, what was the the central focus, the central issue in the Lord's mind as he was setting the people free from from Egypt, right? Um, And I think as you read the scripture, if you read it, you'll, you'll notice that one of the things the Lord was really, really concerned about was that the people would be free to worship him, Okay. I think as a kid, I always would, would think about this story and always think about Moses going up to Pharaoh and he'd always just say, let my people go, right? Let my people go, like with a big period or an exclamation mark. But in truth, there was a comma there. 
you can go, I don't want to go over every single verse tonight because we don't really have time for that, but like just about every single time Moses went to Pharaoh, God gave him this message, let my people go, comma, so that my people can go worship me. And I really think that was one of the central issues that was at the forefront of God's mind when he was trying to set his people free, is he wanted them to be free to worship him. Like, and I think that's really, really good news, you know, because the Lord wasn't just concerned about setting them free for slavery, but he had a bigger plan, right? You know, like, and it's the same, the same thing is true for us. Like, the Lord's not just concerned with us being set free from sin and going to heaven when we die, but he has a bigger plan for our lives. He wants to give us purpose, and he wants us to worship him right now in this room in the way we live our lives. You know? And that's really, really good news. Like, when you get around worshiping the Lord, you can see that it just, it makes everything better. It makes life better. Um, and it really does give you a purpose in which to live your life. It's so true. And, and, and that's why the Lord cares so much about it. In verse 32, this is just sort of like a question for me. Um, I, I had, uh, before they leave, uh, Pharaoh says, Bless me as you go. And I thought that was kind of strange, you know. Before you leave, why don't you bless me? Like, why is Pharaoh saying that? You know, his heart's really cold. He doesn't really care. But then, so I sort of like asking the Lord, like, why would Pharaoh say that? And um, the thing that stuck out to me was this, like, even Pharaoh noticed that there was a pattern in Moses' prayer life, right? Like, every time Moses prayed, the Lord answered him. Like, when um, the plague of frogs came up on the land, Pharaoh said, hey, Moses, will you pray to get them to go away? And Moses did, and they left. And, you know, over and over, Pharaoh saw this pattern throughout all the plagues. When Moses would pray, God would answer him. So even Pharaoh, who had such a cold heart, noticed that when Moses prayed, God listened. Like, he could not deny that God existed, right? So, like, the question just came to mind, what would happen if our prayer lives were that effective, right? Where people around us noticed that when we prayed, the Lord listened. Like, who around us would notice that and, and be led from out of unbelief because of that? All right, um, moving on, verse 35 and 36. These are kind of the central passage for tonight. Um, if we can just get those back up on the screen real quick. Thank you. All right, so it says, The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. I think this is really cool. Um, and one of the reasons why is, is because this is fulfilling a promise that the Lord made to Moses in the very beginning. If you go to Exodus three twenty-two, at the burning bush, when the Lord is commissioning Moses to be the leader of his people, he tells him, you're going to ask the Egyptians as you go for gifts of silver and gold and for fine clothing, and I'm going to cause them to look favorably upon you and to give them that, and you're going to plunder them. Right? Um, it's also, so we see in Exodus 32, 3, 22, and then in Exodus 11, 2 through 3, um, the next chapter before this, 
we see Moses giving those instructions, living out the Lord's commands. Um, and so it's mentioned three times. And I think that makes this part of the story really significant to me. Like, it was part of the plan from the very beginning. God had, had dreamed up this plan right from the beginning, right from the burning bush. So that makes it significant. Like, it wasn't just that it was tagged on, you know, this part of the story. Oh, yeah, and the Israelites took all the silver and gold as they were leaving, you know. Because I think if that was the way it was written, we can maybe dismiss it and say, well, whatever. Um, but the fact that it comes up three times really um, stuck out to me anyways, and I felt like the Lord had something to say about it. So, you know, part of what this is, I think, is just really a picture of the Lord's justice. Like, the Israelites had lived in slavery for so many years, so many years, and this was just one way that the Lord could right that wrong. Um, so, like, if you could think of it as, like, a reparation, you know, if you've heard that term, you know, it was just the righting of the wrongs. Um, so the Lord's justice was being carried out. But I also think it had some prophetic significance over Israel, Israel's identity, right? So, um, so beyond just being reparations, the silver and gold represented something um, that the Lord was speaking to Israel, right? Um, and this is what I think he was saying, is that, um, that the silver and gold pointed to Israel's success as a nation, right? So the people were leaving Egypt, and they were going out into the desert, and they really only had two options. They were either going to become a group of nomads that just wandered the land, or eventually they were going to settle down and become a country of their own. They were going to be a nation. Um, And so the silver and gold says something about that because it points to their success as a nation. Like, the Lord had a clear goal in sight when he led them out of Egypt. You know, they were going to Canaan. They were going to the promised land. They were going to see the land of milk and honey. Like, if you think about it, what use would nomads have for silver and gold? There really isn't any. Like, nomads are just people without a home that travel from place to place. You know, they, they're hunters and gatherers. They scavenge for what they need. Really utilitarian. So they wouldn't really have any, any use for silver and gold. And, like, even though the Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years, they wandered the desert, the Lord never once made them live as a nomad. Never once. He provided for their need every single day. He would rain down manna from heaven. In the morning, he would cause quails to come into their camp so they would have meat to eat at night. Uh, He provided for their thirst out of rocks. Never once did he he make them live as nomads. And so the Lord was speaking over them that, that destiny, that you are my people and you will be my kingdom. Like, another thing I was thinking about, like, silver and gold don't have there's no use that nomads could have for them. Like, they're so utilitarian. Silver and gold, there's really more efficient ways of building tools, right? Like, you can make a hammer out of gold, but it's going to be way too heavy and not very effective, right? You know, so they're not going to have any use for it. But nations, they need silver and gold. Otherwise, they're not going to function properly. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to be able to do what they need to do. They have to fill their treasuries, right? You know, you could just look at Greece, the country Greece, today in 2011. Um, It's going bankrupt, and it's dragging down the economies of pretty much all of Europe right now. Um, And so you're just looking at that picture. You could see, like, not having any silver or gold is bad for a country. And uh, last week in Adam's message, he was talking about um, Israel and uh, 
you basically said that the Lord had this plan for Israel to be a blessing for that whole region, right? And so, in order for that to happen, Israel had to be a successful country, right? Had to be a successful nation. Um, And so this is just a picture of the Lord speaking destiny over his people. So what's the point? Like, what what does that mean for you and me, right? Um, Because I don't know about you, but I haven't plundered anybody of silver and gold and fine clothes. (laughs) It's just, you know. But, uh, I think really this is just another demonstration of the heart of God for his people, right? Like the Lord graciously blessed his people in every way and provided for their every need. Like the Israelites were leaving Egypt in such a hurry that they couldn't even make proper bread. Like they were in self-preservation mode. They just needed to get out of there. But on the way, the Lord took care of something that was like way beyond what their needs were, right? He blessed them with all these sil- the silver and gold and these fine clothing. They weren't things that they needed, but the Lord was giving it to them. He wanted to bless them in every way. So, you know, when they're out in the desert, it, it kind of makes you wonder, like if the Lord is somebody who was going to give them these riches and these luxuries, these things that they didn't even need, you would have thought that they would have stopped and said, hey, you know, I'm thirsty. The Lord can take care of that, right? <laughs> like... I'm hungry. The Lord can take care of it. Why are we complaining? They should have realized that the same God who blessed them richly with luxuries was surely going to meet their everyday mundane needs, right? If he's going to give them silver and gold, surely he's going to give them bread and water. And like, so we have to ask ourselves, if if this picture of God who's so kind and so loving and loves to bless so richly is in conflict with our own views and our own perception of God. Like one of the problems the Israelites had out in the desert was, uh, and, and a big reason why they failed to faithfully follow him was that they didn't understand who they were dealing with, right? And that can be, become such a problem in our own lives too, you know? Like we as the people of God need a better understanding of the God that we are serving. And some of us, we've grown up in church our whole lives with these wrong ideas of who the Lord is. We, we've had spoken over these, us these, these wrong ideas that the Lord doesn't love us, that he hates us, that he wants us to burn, you know, that he wants to punish it and he takes pleasure in it. And so that really paints and it taints our picture of who God is. And so we just need to, to correct those wrongs. We need to see that the Lord is our deliverer, he is our provider, and he is our protector. And he loves to bless us richly and to give us every good thing. Like, that's the Lord's heart for us, is he really wants to give you every good thing. And if that doesn't jive with your view of God, then you aren't seeing God the way he truly is. So I was thinking about this, you know, as you, as you read Exodus and you see the, the Israelites' journey through the desert, you know, they come up, way short of the Lord's goals and expectations for them, you know, like the Lord really wanted to bless them and really wanted to be his people, and, and at one point you know, they Matt and I touched on this several weeks ago, you know they, they build a golden calf and say well this is the God that led us out of Egypt, like are you kidding me? Come on, golden calf what the heck, um, you know so they, they failed, you know, in, in being faithful to the Lord and I was thinking about this, you know how can we be more successful in our journeys as we follow the Lord? Because I think that's what we really want. We want to be faithful to the Lord. And so I came up with a couple 
couple of practical ways that we can be successful in our journey. And the first is just to, to um, embrace the lifestyle of thankfulness. Um, we really need to recognize who God is and just take the time to be thankful to him, you know. Um, in verse 42, you see the Lord speak over Israel. You know, the, the Passover is going to be the celebration that, um, that they do in remembrance of what the Lord did for them generation after generation after generation. Like, um, he, he gave them that as a gift in order for them to remember what the Lord had done for them and to be thankful. The Lord's given us similar gifts our, ourselves, right? Um, every time we take communion, you know, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. You know, we just want to be thankful to the Lord. The fact that, that when, we, when we take that bread, we be thankful for the flesh that he gave. And, and when we drink that, the wine, we want to just be thankful for the blood that he shed for us, you know. Um, and, and one of the really awesome things about this, you know, trying to embrace a lifestyle of thankfulness is, if that's not you, you can fake it until you make it, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you've been in this situation where, like, like, as a kid, maybe you and your, like, sibling or a friend got into a fight, and, like, the adult in charge is, like, now you just need to be nice, say something nice to the other person, right? And so, like, you start, and you, you might not say anything, like, real big, like, well, uh, your shoes are cool or something, you know? So, like, you start there, and you don't really mean it, whatever, and, and so the adult's like, no, come on, keep going. And you're like, all right, well, it was cool that you were kind to me earlier, whatever. And, like, if you just start to, like, begin, like, even in your heart right now, like, if there's somebody that you're in conflict with, if you just start to say, you know, what are some things I could say that are, that I appreciate about this person, even if I don't meet it, mean it, as you think about that, and and you begin to write these things out, or or you begin to speak these to somebody else, the thankfulness will just begin to well up in your heart, you know, like, you can't help it, you can fake it until you make it, and that's true in a lot of things in life, you know, like, um, even Curtis Painter can take enough snaps, snaps, and finally throw a touchdown pass in the NFL. Man. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. So, like, we really need a thankful heart in order to fight the bitterness that can creep into the midst of our life, you know, because life just has this way of, of beating us down, of diluting our, um, our sense of entitlement to this place where we think that, you know, everything in life is unfair and I deserve, you know, better treatment, this, that, or whatever, you know, and we just get really jaded in our lot in life and we need thankfulness in order to fight that mentality because if you live in that place you're going to be a bitter rotten old man by the time that you're 60 if that <laughs> you know we need thankfulness all right so the second way we can have success on our journey is just to worship like i said before it was one of the central issues um that the lord had in mind in the exodus and that's what he desired for his people to have freedom to worship him. And the Lord wants us to have that same freedom, freedom and he's going to fight to remove any obstacle in our life if we want him to. You know, if there's anything in our life that is blocking us from truly worshiping the Lord, and we ask him to come and remove it, he is willing and he wants to do that. Like for the Israelites, they were chained to these pagan idol worshipers by slavery. And one by one, the Lord knocked down and executed judgment against each of their false gods um, and brought them out of that place so that they could freely worship him. Like, even just now, in your heart, if you begin to ask the Lord, you know, 
is there anything that's keeping me from freely worshiping you? Like the Lord will be faithful to bring that to mind. Even right now in this room, you can ask the Lord, is there anything from keeping me from worshiping you? You know, and those thoughts that are coming up right now, that's from the Lord. And he just wants, he wants you to be aware of it. And he wants to, to remove that obstacle from you. It's really his heart for you. Like, he didn't just free the Israelites from their obstacles of worship, but he also blessed them and he gave them the tools that they needed to properly worship him. Um, the silver and gold comes in here again. Uh, because... Later on in Exodus, the Lord instructs Moses and he instructs the people to begin building the tabernacle of where his presence is going to rest and where they're going to to offer sacrifices and truly worship him. Um, And he intended that silver and gold, this is another purpose of it, to be a free will offering to the Lord to build the tabernacle. You you start reading in in Exodus 31 and following, you see the people come and, and it's like they're finally getting it. Like, yes, we're going to give back to the Lord. And um, worship really becomes this pattern of give and take, right? Where we give to the Lord and he blesses us in return. And we give to the Lord and he blesses us in return. And it just becomes this pattern. And that's really how he desires for us to order our lives, right? Like Andrew prayed a little bit, we just want to be people of worship. We want to live out that, that worship every single day and every moment. You know, we don't have to be sitting in this room in front of the worship band in order to give the Lord the praise that he deserves. All right, so the next thing um, that we can do to have success on our journey is just to come to a place of trust with the Lord. I think that was a big issue, is that the people of Israel didn't really know how to trust God when they went out into the desert. But for us, in order for our lives to go well, we have to trust the Lord Otherwise, we're going to allow doubt and unbelief to creep in and cause us to turn our backs on God. Like, this is what happened when they decided to make that golden calf, right? You know, they, they didn't trust the Lord. The moment that Moses took too long to come back down the, from the mountain, and they said, Aaron, make us a God that we can worship. They quickly abandoned the Lord. And we just really need to learn how to trust the Lord, trust that he, his will is for us, that he wants to bless us and, and that he really wants to deliver, protect, and, and prosper us. And we also just need to fight complacency, right? Because we can get out in the middle of our journey and we just get, get into, you know, the swing of life and forget about the Lord, focus only on ourselves, on our only needs, uh, only our, our needs and our wants, and forget about the Lord. Um, and, and really, like I said before, the desert was supposed to be this place where the Israelites drew near to the Lord. They were supposed to learn his ways. They were supposed to learn to trust him. But they allowed their elements and their perceived circumstances to dictate their attitude. And ultimately, that's what led them to sinning against God and grieving his heart. You know, they took that gold that was meant for the tabernacle and they formed it into this false god. And what's crazy to me is like, the Lord set up everything for them to be successful, um, to prosper and to follow him the way he intended, but they still allowed sin to creep in and turn them against God. So I was like, thinking about this, you know, what is this like? 
And have you ever witnessed um, like a sporting event or a sporting game where this team, they get up by a whole lot by halftime and everything seems like it's going well, victory's assured, and then in the second half, they just have this awful extreme letdown, right? Like, it's killer. Like, I grew up playing soccer probably from the time I was six, thereabouts, through college. Um, and then after college, I was refereeing soccer for a little bit. So I've been around uh, the game a lot. And um, I've seen this situation so many times, and I've even been on teams where I've seen this happen. And, um, like, this is how it feels, right? Like, so you, you come back from halftime, you're feeling everything's going well, whatever, you get comfortable. Suddenly that first goal goes in, and you're like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to shrug it off. No big deal. But, like, there's this question in the back of your mind that's like, oh, no, what's happening? All right. Then the second goal goes in. Then the teammates start snapping at each other. Right. You know, you've seen this, like, like, what are you doing? You need to get over there, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, frustration starts to kick in. Like, by the third goal, they've tied the game, and everybody's freaking out, right? <laughs> like, how can this be happening? Then the panic takes over. Like, you think, okay, well, I'll just buckle down. I'll play harder. No, we'll be able to pull this out, whatever. But you're playing panic. You're playing from from behind all of a sudden, and then that last call goes in, and you've lost the game, and dot, 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 you know, it's terrible, right, but when I was on 16, uh, when I was 16, I played on this team, Um, I had this really awesome coach, probably one of the best coaches I've had at any level, it was just like a recreation team, it wasn't high school or whatever, Um, it was just like in the spring season, all right, so this guy, he was a retired military man, Um, but he wasn't like, you know, like militant colonel, whatever, he was just, like, real laid back. He was the kind of guy that was almost, like, above the title of coach. Like, he didn't have to shout to have his voice heard, you know. He could just speak, and, like, just by the way he, he used his voice and his intonation, like, all of us, like, were, were listening to him, and he, and he commanded respect that way. Um, like, he had lived in Germany for a while, and I feel like some of that, like, that German determination and grit, you know, was, like, just part of his character, you know. Like, so that was just, like, who he was. Uh, and he always had a pipe, right? And it was like, man, it was like the best smelling thing I've ever had, you know. In college, I tried to get into a pipe for a little bit, and I could never find that tobacco. I don't know what he used, but it, man. But yeah, that, I mean, this, so that was my coach. And uh, we were a pretty good team, so we would get into this situation a lot, where by halftime, we had built up a pretty good lead, right? But he never let us get complacent. This is, this is like the pep talk he would give us at halftime. He'd be like this. He would say, you know, that other team, they're just a bunch of scared, frightened babies, okay? <laughs> so now's the time. Don't let up. All right? They're just cornered. They're like a cornered house rat. All right? That makes them dangerous, though, okay? Because when you have the house rat cornered, the only thing you can do is fight back. And if he's going to bite you, no. If he bites you, it's because you hesitated. You let doubt creep in. He said, so this is what you need to do. Don't let up. Don't flinch. Let the hammer drop. Get the pest out, you know? In our lives, you know, there are things that can, that can come up to try to bring us down, you know? We have those little pests in our lives that try to distract us. You know, the devil flings our way. Like, victory's already assured. Jesus has already paid the price, is already taking care of it. Just let the hammer drop. We don't have to live in fear of failure or fear of the devil. Like, that doesn't make any sense. 
Like the Lord's already taken care of it. Like, so that sin you can't shake or that unbelief that's never satisfied, it can't define you because Jesus has already destroyed the power of sin on the cross. Like the Israelites walked in the knowledge of God's deliverance, of his provision and his protection, but even after seeing their enemy wiped out in the Red Sea, food falling from heaven and water springing out of rocks, they still feared that they would die in the desert. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense when we as believers live in fear of an enemy that's already been taken care of. Like, if we want success on our journey with God, we have to learn to be thankful, we need to learn to worship, and we need to learn to trust the Lord. Like, if you want a measuring stick on how well you're doing, that's it. To the extent that you're thankful, to the extent that you're worshiping the Lord, and the extent that you trust Him, you're being successful on your journey. And we can't have any lasting success in this life apart from God, right? Because the Lord is eternal. Anything that we try to do on our own, um, any success that we have in this life all by ourselves, it's only going to be short-lived and it's going to wane eventually. So if we want to have success that is eternal, it's going to have to happen in partnership with the Lord. You know, and that's the success that I'm looking for in my life. And I know that the Lord wants to bless that, wants to, to give me every good thing, bless me richly, and he wants to partner with me. And the same is true for you. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Um, the ministry team, guys, you guys come up.